The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Revelation chapter 1. Last week we finished the first section of Exodus. We are now taking a break from Exodus until about mid-May, and we're going to do the first section in Revelation. And our plan is to alternate between Exodus and Revelation. And that way, that way we hear regularly from both Old and New Testaments. As A.W. Tozer once said, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. A whole Bible to make a whole Christian. So we're going to hear both of these books. But in both, there is a consistent theme, the rule and reign of God over all things for the salvation of his people as we walk through a, well, a season of transition as a church, what we most need is a vision of God like that. That's why we intentionally chose these two books at this time, to give us a vision of God ruling and reigning over all things. But admittedly, Revelation is a challenging book, and so we have some recommended resources for you in your bulletin. You might want to notice that insert, but I wanted to highlight a few of these. One book that does not relate directly to Revelation and yet does is the book entitled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ordland. Why do I highlight this? Well, you're probably aware already that Revelation can be, well, a bit of a battleground amongst Christians, unfortunately. One hoped-for effect from this series is that we unite all the more around the essentials in this book while graciously allowing for differences on secondary matters. That's important. For Revelation specifically, I would highly recommend this book by Nancy Guthrie entitled Blessed. Blessed. She gives a, a fine introduction and overview of this book written in a very accessible style. I would highly recommend Nancy Guthrie's book. Many of you also have this study written by our friend Wes Van Fleet, Revelation, Worthy is the Lamb. This will help you understand and apply Revelation as well. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit's work. And then Alan's going to read our passage, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your living and active word. We ask you now to speak again through what you've already spoken in your infallible word. Meet us, we ask you, in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed, blessed who are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of, of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, and who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. How do things seem to you? How do they seem to you in this world and in your own life? How do things seem to you? Maybe you see the real and sometimes horrific persecution of Christians in the world and maybe experience some opposition to the gospel yourself. The difficulty of outreach in your neighborhood or workplace or family. And maybe it seems to you the church's mission with the good news is useless. Maybe this world seems too dark. The opposition seems too difficult. People's hearts seem too hard. Outreach, you think, is pointless. It seems Maybe we should withdraw into a kind of spiritual cocoon, hunker down and ride it out. It seems. Or maybe you're facing your own personal troubles. And you kind of want to give up, throw in the towel. You're facing sickness, disease, just disappointment or loss or maybe conflict, all of which are very hard and you might feel Depressed or downcast or discouraged because your life seems hidden from God somehow. Either he's not around or doesn't care about you as much as you thought. It seems. Or maybe we go the other direction. Since life can be hard, you should just live for all you can get right now, it seems. Why swim against the cultural tide? Why live by a different value system from this world? Why have a different sexual ethic? Why resist the materialistic spirit of our age? Just live for all you can acquire or accomplish or experience. It's the YOLO life. You only live once. It seems. How do things seem to you, appear to you, in this world and in your life? The book of Revelation is here to say to us, things are not all as they may seem. More is going on than you realize in this world and in your own life. How things appear to you is not the full story, not even close. And to see that with you this morning, I would like to answer two questions from this 
prologue. The Apostle John here provides an introduction to the book and, in effect, answers two questions for us. What is this book? And what should we expect from it? Two questions. What is this book? What is the nature of this book? We need to see that. And what should we expect as we study this book? So first, let's ask, what is this book? A bit of introduction. We're clued in in the opening words in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title and the description. The revelation either about Jesus or the revelation, I think more likely, from Jesus Christ, though both are true. Revelation meaning an unveiling, making something known, pulling back the curtain. In Greek, it is the word apocalypsis, pointing to the fact that this is what we call apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. Now, in John's day, this kind of writing was very popular. It was flying off the shelves of the local bookstore. People were downloading it in droves onto their Kindles. The challenge for us today is that no one writes in this particular genre, not even Stephen King. We need some orientation as to the uniqueness of apocalyptic literature. So a few orienting points. It is highly pictorial. It communicates in startling imagery. If you like movies, you should love Revelation. It is a great book for our visual age. But relatedly, it is also highly symbolic. Highly symbolic. Some Christians think that if you don't read Revelation as literally as possible, you are somehow denying the authority or inspiration of this book. But friends, that's not the case. We are not to read everything literally here. We are to read everything according to the type of literature that this is. If you were to pick up a book later today that begins once upon a time, you would know you're reading a fictional story. You would not think that Goldilocks is a real person and you would not think there's a family of talking bears. You need to know the type of literature to interpret correctly. Very much the case with this book. We must read Revelation according to its genre as apocalyptic literature, as highly symbolic apocalyptic literature. So, for instance, when you read of a beast with ten horns, that is symbolizing something. Don't try to draw that necessarily. It's symbolizing something. Horns in Scripture symbolize power or authority. The number 10, a number for completeness. So the beast, whatever it represents, has great power. That's the point. Apocalyptic literature is also known for its heavenly messengers, as we see here, look again at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, notice, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So notice the chain of transmission. God gave this revelation to his son, 
His son, Jesus, makes it known to an angel, a heavenly messenger who communicates to the apostle John. That means this book is going to give us a heavenly perspective on this world and this life. Here we see things from God's vantage point. Now, every book of the Bible does that in ways, but Revelation uniquely. I, I like to go up on Mount Helix. I love to observe the view and look down on all of East County. I like to see the freeways, where the traffic's backing up, and oh, there's the 8, there's the 125, there's the 94. Oh, look, there's my house. I love the view from above. I love that bird's eye view from above. Revelation gives you the ultimate view from above, the God's eye view on everything in this world. It is apocalyptic literature. The second thing to show, to notice here that John shows us, this book is prophecy. Prophecy. Notice verse 3. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. But that might not mean exactly what you're thinking. With biblical prophecy, often it's not so much forthtelling the future but addressing how to live in the present. That's how it is oftentimes with Old Testament prophecy, and to a large degree, this prophecy. It does relate to the future at points, but it's even more so about how to think and live in the present. Look at verse 3. You see this in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who, who hear and who keep, an important word in Revelation, who keep what is written, for the time is near. We are blessed if we hear and keep or heed these words, if we take them to heart, if we put them into practice. So God is not giving us here a code to crack. This is not a riddle to solve. He's showing us what is really going on in the world, that we might live in light of that reality. The third thing to see here about this book is that it's a letter. It's a letter. Okay, an unusual letter, but it's a letter. Look at verse 4. John, the Apostle John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, what we call Asia Minor. So Revelation is a letter written to seven churches near the end of the first century, a letter written to real people who were suffering under the reign of the evil Roman Empire, Domitian, most likely. But why these seven churches? Why seven? There were other churches in Asia Minor at this time. These were prominent ones. But why seven churches? Well, remember, Highly symbolic, apocalyptic literature. The number seven, we'll see quite a bit, represents perfection or completeness. So John writes to these seven real churches to represent the complete church, the church in every age. For the struggles they faced are still with us today. Spiritual deception 
false teaching, material seduction, moral temptation, all in light of demonic opposition. Revelation is addressing particular churches in the late first century, and God is addressing the church throughout the church age. So keep these three things in mind. They will help you understand this book. It's apocalyptic literature, so highly symbolic. It's prophecy meant to shape how we think and live in the present. And it's a letter addressing suffering people in the first century and us today. But second question, where I want to focus today, second question that John addresses in this prologue, what should we expect from this book? These opening words are intentional. John is setting us up to see some things we should expect from this study. He says, second part of verse 4, Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Now, a typical salutation, but, but loaded with significance for these suffering Christians. For notice, from whom grace and peace are flowing. From him who is and who was and who is to come. An intentional allusion to what we saw in Exodus chapter 3, the divine name, the great I am. So it's the eternal one ruling over all of history from beginning to end and everything in between. For these Christians suffering and for us today when our future seems so uncertain, and I find that so difficult, when our future is so uncertain to us, it's not uncertain to him. Grace and peace flowing from the one who knows the beginning and the end. And grace and peace also, notice, from the seven spirits, the seven spirits who are before his throne. Remember, highly symbolic number seven, a number for perfection or completeness or fullness. So read this as the fullness of who? The Holy Spirit. Grace and peace from the Holy Spirit through this book. I mean, come, come on Sundays with that expectation. The Holy Spirit speaking again through what he has spoken, ministering grace and peace to you right where you need it. And third, notice grace and peace in verse 5 from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. See what John is doing here? He's setting up grace and peace from each member of the Trinity. Father, Holy Spirit, and now the Son. In fact, Revelation, I think more than any other book of the New Testament, emphatically shows us the full deity of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from him, the faithful witness to churches captured by false teaching. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. All he says is true. All he says is to be believed by you and me. 
He's the firstborn of the dead, the preeminent one and the risen one, promising that we too shall rise in him if you are his. And notice he is the ruler of kings on earth. Christ's reign, current reign, I do believe is a significantly more common emphasis than his return in this book. When these embattled Christians were facing incredible pressure to compromise, there was persecution even under the threat of death. It was surely tempting for them to think that their fate lay in the hands of an evil Roman empire and emperor, but that's not the case. Over and over, we're going to see a throne, a throne, a throne. We've already seen it in this passage. A throne. And the point is one ruling from that throne. And it's not the Roman emperor. It's not even Vladimir Putin. It's not President Biden or any other governmental official, congressman, Supreme Court justice. Everything in this world, friends, and in your life is being governed by the ruler of kings on earth. You see, the goal, the goal of this book is for those first century Christians and for us today to conquer, it's going to say. Persevere. Keep going. Because you're going to be swept up into the victory of the one who has conquered in his death and resurrection. Think of Revelation then like, well, like a charging station for your electric car, like they have out front now. There's a charging station for your electric car. You plug in and you're getting grace and peace from each member of the Godhead to keep going, to persevere, to conquer. Grace and peace to strengthen and empower you all the way to the end. So we see here, first, strengthening grace for us. First, strengthening grace we should expect. Then John shows us a second thing to expect from this book, worship. We should expect strengthening grace. And then we should expect Christ-centered worship. Second half of verse five. To him, these would be good verses to memorize. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a doxology, a statement of praise, worshiping. Notice him who loved us who loves us right now, by his sacrifice, he has freed us, loosed us from our slavery to sin. Not just washed us, but loosed us. We are no longer sin slave, making us, it says, a kingdom and priests to bring us under his saving, transforming reign as our king and making us priests, people who have access to God 24-7. And so we worship him. So we worship him. In fact, this is a preview of the heavenly worship we're going to see in chapter 5. In Revelation 5, various heavenly beings 
sing a new song to the Lamb, to Jesus Christ, saying, Worthy are you. Why is he worthy? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Listen, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. You see what God is doing here? In chapter 1, he's already inviting us into the heavenly worship we're going to find in chapter 5. Here we're invited into an incredible privilege to join the worship of heaven, singing to the Lamb. That's a privilege. No person, no circumstance, no trial can take away from you. Worshiping the Lamb, joining with the heavenly choir. We get to look outside of ourselves and look upwards and praise the one who loves you. Praise the one who freed you. Praise the one who made you part of his kingdom. A priest to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we, we should expect here strengthening grace, grace and peace. We should expect Christ-centered worship. And then one more thing John shows us to expect, a warning. In this prologue, a warning of Christ's return. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. So be it. The book of Revelation is jam-packed, jam-packed with Old Testament allusions. And here are two of them, one from Daniel 7, one from Zechariah 12, and the point is really twofold. Jesus' return will be obvious to all. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye, every eye will see him. So no secret return here, no hidden return here. His return will be obvious to all. And secondly, his return will be catastrophic for some. They will wail. They will mourn when Christ returns in judgment. We're going to find the return of Christ is a great hope for his people and a great calamity for those who are not his people. James Hamilton writes how, if you knew with certainty in advance that September 11th was coming, you knew that horrific day was coming with perfect knowledge, complete foresight, that day in the hijacking of four planes when thousands died. If, if you knew that September 11th was coming with perfect knowledge and complete foresight, you would want to do all you could to help people avoid that disaster. 
Well, that's what John is doing for his readers 2,000 years ago and for us right now. Because as terrible as 9-11 was, something far, far, far more serious is coming. The return of Jesus Christ in judgment. You see, this book, it, it, means, to, it means to strengthen the, the weakening, the, the faltering. It wants to strengthen you. But there's a flip side to that. This book also means to warn those who are drifting from Jesus or even denying Jesus. Kids, teenagers, young people, all of us. Are you, are you catching this warning? Don't lose your first love, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. Wake up, he says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, Jesus says to the church in Sardis. Be, be zealous and repent. I, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. The great hope for us. And there's a loving warning. The, the Alpha and Omega, the A to Z in verse 8, the Lord God Almighty is addressing us and asking, where are you with this Jesus? Where are you with him, young people? Young people, kids, teen. Where are you with this Jesus? Guests or members? Through this book, we should expect strengthening grace. We should encounter and expect and be called to Christ-centered worship. We should find a healthy, loving warning from God. Christ's return. I would sum up all of this like this. Jesus, Jesus is worthy of our deepest trust and highest praise. Jesus is worthy, worthy of our deepest trust and our highest praise because, because things are not all as they seem. How life may appear to you is not the full story. Get, get the bird's eye view, get the God's eye view. See the ruler of kings on earth who is returning. If life just seems to you about what you can acquire or accomplish or experience, if you would say, yeah, YOLO it, baby. You only live once. But there is a returning one before whom we will give an account. This is why we live by a different value system than this world. This is why we would have a different sexual ethic. This is why we don't indulge the materialism of our day. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And frees his people, looses us. He desires to free you if that's not you yet. So surrender to Christ. Trust only in what he has done to bring you to God, his 
perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, and his coming return. Hope only in Christ to bring you to God, and he will. He's worthy of your deepest trust and your highest praise. And if you're already his, the application is, is the same. Your deepest trust and your highest praise. I say deepest trust because how your life may seem right now is not the full story. How this world may appear to you right now is not the full story. Yes, this world can be dark. The opposition can be difficult, but is the church's mission futile? Is go and make disciples in San Diego useless, irrelevant? In your neighborhood, your workplace, your family, should we really withdraw into a spiritual cocoon, hunker down and just ride it out? Or, as you face your own troubles personally, maybe you want to give up and throw in the towel, and I would just say thank you for being here, first of all. But you feel like your life is somehow hidden from God. It seems to you like he's not around. Or he doesn't love you like you thought. But is that really true? Is that really the case? Revelation, again, is an unveiling. God is not hiding things from us. He's unveiling things. He's pulling back the curtain, but not in a kind of Wizard of Oz way, where the curtain pulls back, and it's just a little guy pulling levers. Just a mirage. It's a charade. This is no mirage. No charade. A throne. One ruling there with all wisdom and all power. One who loves you and freed you from your sins by his blood and is coming again to make all things new. So no, the mission is not useless. Gospel ministry is not futile and your life is not hidden from God. It's not. He is worthy of your deepest trust and he is worthy of your highest praise. No matter what we're facing, Remember what we saw here. We are blessed. We are blessed if we hear and heed, take to heart these words. We are, we are blessed. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through, but, but I do want you to realize the blessedness you have in Christ. You are blessed to know him who loves you. You are blessed to be loosed from your sins by his blood. You are blessed to have been brought under his saving, transforming reign as king. And you are blessed to be a priest in the house of God with full and free access to God 24-7. Friends, things are not as they may seem. More is going on than you may realize. And I think a first good step is pray to see Jesus as he really is. I'm starting to do that, and I exhort you to do the same. Just pray. Pray that through this book we would see more of Jesus as he really, 
really is. Pray that through this book, we would see Jesus ruling over all for the good of his people. Pray to see Jesus ruling over every power and every entity in this world. Pray to see Jesus who loves you. Oh, wouldn't that be powerful? Pray to see more of Jesus who loves you and frees us from our sins by his blood. Pray to see that he is worthy of your deepest trust and your highest praise. Let's pray that right now. You join me in prayer. And I don't know what burdens and challenges you brought in, friends. But bring them to God right now. If you are unsure, if you are reconciled to God in Christ, cry out to him right now. You can say, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Thank you for loving me and dying for my sins. Please make me one of your own. You can pray that to him in your heart right now. He promises not to drive away any who genuinely come to him. Pray most of all that we would see more of Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for grace and peace, I think, already flowing into our lives. We join the Christ-centered worship of heaven to him who belongs glory and dominion forever and ever, and we anticipate his return. Spirit of God, would you let us see even now more and more of our Savior for your glory and our greatest good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.